Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex from BTN.com, and I'm very glad to say we are back after a week or so, week-ish long hiatus. I hate to take a break and leave all the loyal fans out there wondering where the podcast was last week, but you know, I was I was out in Vegas for the Illinois UNLV basketball game two weekends ago, and I got back and didn't have a guest lined up. And it was kind of a slow week in the Big Ten world anyway. And so I just decided, you know what, I'll wait and put it off until we can put a good episode together and not be scrambling. And I know we'll be able to get a good guest for this week, which we did, and put together what I think is a very entertaining episode and discussion with our upcoming guests. So we are back, and I knew also I had to get a Christmas slash holiday episode for everyone out there to listen to on their drives or travels home for the holidays, which should be getting underway toward the end of this week. And as I mentioned, we do have a very entertaining and relevant guest. It's a guy I've been meaning to get on the show for a long time now, and it's Spike Albrecht, the former Michigan Wolverine and Purdue Boilermaker point guard. And not only is he a great dude, fun guy to talk to, but he's kind of really every Big Ten fan's dreams come to life. You know, he's the guy who went from no offers to getting a Big Ten offer from Michigan. And his breakout game came in the national championship game of all games his freshman year. So that's where he was introduced to the national stage. He won a Big Ten title at Michigan and another Big Ten championship as a transfer at Purdue. So, and he's kind of, you know, he's not a big imposing figure. He's about 5'10", 5'11", and was this guy playing against monsters, against giants that kind of the average fan can relate to. So, as you can imagine, Spike has a lot of phenomenal insight, no shortage of stories to tell, which we get into in the upcoming discussion. And we were planning on going 40 minutes or so, but we ended up chatting for over an hour, so that kind of gives you an idea of the depths of the discussion we got to, and it was certainly a lot of good stuff. So, before we get to that, Discussion with Spike, just a few housekeeping things I needed to mention, a few reminders I wanted to get to. First, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Take 10 podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and please rate and leave a review for the show if you like it. And also, if you weren't aware, we've recently expanded our podcast network at BTN. Andy Katz, who is a titan in college basketball reporting, if you, if you live under a rock, he is working for us this season. And he's also doing a weekly podcast for us as part of his reporting. So he's already put out a few awesome episodes and the access and the interviews he's able to get are just all top notch. And he's talked to current head coaches and players in the Big Ten midseason and, and kind of getting week by week updates from really prominent guests, which, as you can imagine, not everyone is able to do. So a lot of awesome access and insight that he's able to, to pull out in pretty much real time. So search the Big Ten Basketball Podcast on our platforms. Be sure to check that podcast out as well as we continue to expand our presence here in this podcast space, this medium, and uh, continue to put out a lot of good stuff. So one more reminder before we get to the interview, our coupon code is still active on the btn.com online shop where you can take 10% off your order on our online store with the code TAKE10. That's T-A-K-E, all caps, the number one zero and you get that 10% discount on your btn.com store order before you check out. So, I mean, if you're a super last-minute holiday shopper, it's not too late. You can still get a ton of good team apparel, gear, merchandise, what have you, on the store. So go and do that now with the coupon code TAKE10. So with all that behind us, let's get to our interview with former Michigan Wolverine and Purdue Boilermaker, two-time Big Ten champ, Spike Albrecht. I am very pleased to be joined by a former Big Ten basketball player. He's a very familiar name if you've watched the conference in the last five or so years. He's a two-time Big Ten champion with two different teams. Played on Michigan from 2012 to 16 and Purdue during the 2016-17 season. It is Spike Albrecht. You can follow him on Twitter at Spike Albrecht. Spike, what's up, man? How's, uh, how's post-grad life been treating you? It's going good, man. It's going good. Can't complain. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, first off... Hope you're having a good holiday season. You got any special plans for the holidays? Just laying low, or what's going on? Yeah, man, laying low. This is uh, 
this is my first time in like six or seven years that I'm going to be able to, to spend some time with the family for the holidays. So I'm just back home in, in my hometown of Crown Point and just excited to, to get some, some relaxing time with my family. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, you know, six or seven years you've been hooping and it's always busy during the holidays, especially if you're, uh, if you're playing basketball. And I want to get into your career at Michigan, at Purdue, and we'll get through all of the you know kind of iconic moments that people know you for, the national championship game at Michigan, transferring to Purdue after retiring at Michigan due to injury. We'll get, to, get into all that. But um, first I want to get into how you ended up in Michigan in the first place because I'm always interested to hear about people's paths to you know kind of that big stage. So how did you get recruited to Michigan? I know you weren't as highly recruited as a lot of your teammates that were there at the time. So walk me through that, how a kid from Crown Point, Indiana, ended up at the University of Michigan. Yeah, definitely. Um, my story, yeah, it's very, it's very unique and a lot different than, than most of the guys who play, play college basketball. Um, coming out of high school my senior year, I didn't have a single Division one offer. Um, Brown was looking at me, but I was actually uh, – Brown, I'm sorry, out in, in Rhode Island was looking at me because my brother played there. But I was actually a point short on my ACT to get in. Um, so I ended up going out to a prep school on the East Coast called Northfield Mount Hermon. Um, and being from Indiana, I didn't know anything about prep school. You know, it's, it's huge out on the East Coast, but I didn't know very much about it. Um, but I figured if I wanted to play Division One basketball, that was going to be my, my only chance. So after my senior year at Crown Point, I went out to, uh, to Gill, Massachusetts, um, to Northfield for a postgraduate year. And it was just a chance for me to get more exposure, play against some of the, you know, the, uh, the high-level players, I guess. You know, when they were watching me in high school, I was doing well. I was having a good year, but they were like, oh, he's not playing against anyone. Um, so I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, I'm just doing what I can against who I'm playing. And that's not sure. my problem. Um, so I went out there. Like I said, it was a chance for me to get more exposure. We played against some really good players. Um, Mitch McGarry being one of them, who's, who ended up being you know, a future teammate of mine um, who went to Rooster. But I went out there, and, and my team just had a lot of success. We were really, really good. Um, coach John Carroll was an awesome coach for me and kind of just put the ball in my hands and let, and let it roll. Um, so we went out there, and we had a ton of success. Um, and then towards the end of our season, you know, I still wasn't getting a ton of recognition. People look at me and you know, as Coach Beeline says, I don't really pass the eyeball test. So, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Um, but at that time, towards the end of my season, Trey Burke at Michigan, he had a phenomenal freshman year. And he was, there started like rumors and talks that he was going to leave after his freshman year. Right. Um, which, which obviously Michigan wasn't expecting. So they kind of went into panic mode a little bit. And they're like, oh crap, like we don't have any other point guard if Trey leaves. So, my AAU coach, who was Wayne Brum, he reached out to Coach Beelines. And then, a little backstory to this, so I played on the same AAU team as um, Mitch McGarry and Glenn Robinson. So us three actually used to room together on the road, which is kind of ironic. Um, but then Wayne Brum reached out to Coach B and was like, hey, I got a guy. He doesn't look like much, but you should come out and check him out. And, you know, if Trey does leave, he's, he's not a bad option. So... Um, when I got the phone call from, from Michigan, actually my prep school coach was even thrown off. He was like, hey, Spike, I, Michigan's calling. And I was like, Michigan who? He was like, University of Michigan. So <laughs> I was like, there's no way in hell Michigan's calling for me. Um, but it was just super cool. Coach Beeline and actually Jeff Meyer at the time, who was the assistant, um, they came out and watched me. And I just happened to be playing my best basketball at the, you know, the right time of the year. Um, and then there was, like I said, the rumors about Trey, so they brought me in for a visit. Coach Beeline offered me on my visit, um, and actually just a great little one-liner that Coach B had to me on my visit because I could tell, you know, he was really hesitant because Trey was still undecided and uncertain, and he was really hesitant about, like, oh, man, am I really going to offer this kid a scholarship? And right before he offered me a scholarship, he goes, he goes, you're either going to get me fired or make me look like a genius. And I just said, well, I was like, well, I hope I don't get you fired, but I'm telling you, you happy. So it was, it was really cool. Um, you know, and obviously the rest from there just, it's kind of history, as they say. Yeah, it's an awesome story. You know, the coaches messed around saying it, that you didn't pass the eye test, but 
you know, it's true. We're like, I stood next to you when you came and visited the studios and, you know, we're about the same height, 160 pounds, 170 pounds, you know, people that look like me don't play college basketball very often. So it's just awesome that you were able to break through with that extra prep school year and make those connections and, and be able to get to that stage. Um, and before I ask about your big coming out party, the, the breakout during the national championship game that people know you for, I want to ask about how you fit into that team as a freshman showing up on campus in Ann Arbor. You look at that roster and it's crazy top to bottom. I still think it's, I mean, it's one of the best teams I've ever seen uh, in the big 10. It's you Glenn Robinson, the third Trey Burke, like you mentioned, you mentioned McGarry, Tim Hardaway, Jr. Karis Levert, Nick Stauskas, all dudes who played in the NBA and many still do. So how do you show up as a freshman on campus and go to practice and compete against those guys that are budding NBA talents? Um, you know, I think, cause that's definitely something that was going through my mind too, is as, as I showed up on campus. Um, but ever since I was a really little kid, you know, I have two older brothers. I grew up playing against older kids. So I was always, you know, one of the, the smaller guys on the floor and, you know, people always looked at me and, you know, didn't think I could, I could play. So I've always had a chip on my shoulder. Um, so I kind of just took that same, that same mentality into uh, my first year at Michigan. And there was times when it was hard because um, I matched up against Trey Burke every single day. And I was like, I mean, day in and day out, he was just kicking my butt. And I remember I was like, man, I'm not sure I can play at this level. Um, but then once the season kind of started, you know, I saw that I wasn't alone, that he was sort of doing that to everyone across the country. So I was like, okay, it's not just me. Um, but I remember the first, the first week of individual workouts in the summer, it was just us five freshmen that you had just named, Mitch, Glenn, Nick, and Karis. And after about 15, 20 minutes into the workout, I just remember thinking in my in my mind, I was like, holy crap. I was like, I think I'm going to be the only one in this group not to play in the NBA because these dudes are all really good. So, but it was awesome. It was an unbelievable experience. Um, the guys I was fortunate enough to play with and, you know, as good a basketball players as they are, they were all really good dudes too. So that made the experience that much better. Yeah, there's no shame in being the only one of that group not to play in the NBA. And that, like, that's a crazy oh. list of of athletes and, you know, all-time Michigan greats there. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. It was a, it was a heck of a first couple of years, that's for sure. So you go from, like you said, not only not having any D1 offers, not really expecting to play college hoops at a big stage all the way to the national championship game your freshman year. So along the way, were you able to kind of soak all that in? Like, are there any stories or any experiences during the tournament run during that special season when you guys didn't win the big 10, but you were ranked number two, I believe. And you, you had a phenomenal team. Were there any, you know, like welcome to college moments or cool stories that you were able to soak in along the ride? Yeah, I think well, that's one thing that I always appreciated about you know, during my time um, in college basketball is, you know, because a year before I, my freshman year, I wasn't sure I was going to be playing college basketball. So I wanted to make sure, you know, I didn't take anything for granted. And I wanted to embrace the journey along the way. Um, but my freshman year was just, it was just a whirlwind. Um, and like you had said, I think at one point we got up, we got to number one in the country. It wasn't for long. Um, but we ended up playing IU at IU in assembly, which was absolutely nuts. Um, and it was one verse three. It was the college game day. Um, and it was just absolutely insane. Um, you literally couldn't even like feel yourself walking on the floor. Um, they ended up, they ended up beating us, and I don't know if you remember, but I know IU fans remember, remember for sure. Oladipo had one of the nastiest missed dunks I had ever seen. It didn't, in my life. It didn't go down. I remember that. Yeah. Well, if, it, if it went down, I think Assembly Hall would have just erupted. Um, More the roof would have fallen off like that. Yeah. Like that one time. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, I remember we looked down at the bench, and we all looked at each other, and we were like, oh, my God. Um. But it was just, an un- like you said, it was an unbelievable ride. Um, but the coolest part for me along the way that entire freshman year <clears throat> was just the different places we got to experience, the arenas we got to play in. I know the preseason NIT was uh, at MSG. So, I mean, here I am, 19 years old, playing in the garden. Um, and I know I had, obviously winning was first on, 
on my list. We had two games, but we got a little lead. And all I remember thinking was, like, I got to get a bucket in the garden. I was like, anytime I get a chance, I'm letting it fly. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, I got open, I was able to hit a shot. Um, but just all that type of stuff is, you know, things that I'll never, I'll never forget and I'll cherish forever. Um, you know, the people I met along the way, the places and the experiences um, we were given. Um, that stuff's good. Yeah, that, that's all awesome. And I remember, I think we're around the same age, so I think I was my freshman year at college. And just watching the Big Ten that year, with all the teams and all the talent, like you guys, you and Indiana were, you know, elite, best of the best that year. And then you had like Minnesota and Ohio State and Illinois, even teams that aren't usually ranked that were in the top 15, top 20. And it was just like like an incredible season to follow. And, yeah. you know, I had a lot of fun following from afar. And I do remember that Old Depot Miss dunk watching that and being like, oh my God, if he got that down, oh, insane. It would have been insane. So like what you were just saying, you know, talking about the Big Ten then versus now. Think about this. Everybody, you're talking about my freshman year, and we went to a national championship, and at one point we were number one in the country. But what people don't remember, we finished fifth in the Big Ten that year. Right. So think about that. How crazy is that? I mean, we were we were a four seed in the NCAA tournament, um, made it to the national championship game, but we finished fifth in our own conference. Um, that just, you know, puts in perspective how good the Big Ten was that year. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So we got to talk a little bit in depth about your performance in the national championship. That's what you have been known for, and that's where you put your name on the map. So in that game, you had 17 points, hit four three-pointers, and really sparked Michigan and kept that game close. So when did you realize in that moment that you were doing something really special? And did you feel like pregame, like <clears throat> that you, you know, shooters have that feel, that we, like when you're warming up, like, all right, I got it tonight. Did you have that feeling and then win? Did you realize mid-game or at any point that, okay, this is big-time stuff that I'm doing here? Yeah. Um, well, I, my shot had felt really good the whole tournament because up to that point I hadn't, I hadn't missed a shot. Um, not that I had made many because I, I didn't shoot much. Um, but I just remember my shot was feeling really, really good. Um, but honestly, going into the game and then even the first few minutes of the, first few minutes of the game, I wasn't sure how much I was going to play because you know, I was a role player. Obviously, we had Trey Burke, who was the National Player of the Year, and Trey started off. He started like uh, started off that game kind of nasty. He had our first seven points. You could just tell he had that look in his eye. So I remember looking at down at one of my teammates, Matt Bogridge, at the time, and I was like, "Hey, I don't know if I'm going to play tonight." I was like, "Trey, Trey's kind of feeling it." And then, sure enough, he picks up his first foul, and I remember Matt kind of tapped him. He was like, "Hey, be ready." Um, Next thing I know, Coach B calls my number. And I just wanted to go out there and be aggressive, um, be confident, because I knew they had some really good guards, and you know they had the full-court pressure. So I just wanted to make sure, you know, if I was making any mistakes, they were going to be aggressive. Um, but I was able to, to get out there, I think. It might have been Stouts, because someone found me, you know, made me, I was open, they hit me with a pass. And once I see my first shot go down, you know, you kind of block everything out and all the noise and all the people. Um, so that kind of helped calm my nerves. Um, and then Trey ended up coming back in. But it wasn't until he got his second foul that I really was, like, starting to notice that, you know, I was, I was doing more than I, I usually do and that, you know, I had to um, just because I knew Trey wasn't coming back in just because that was kind of Coach Beeline's rule. So, um, I mean, that whole first half, anytime I got a chance, you know, look at the rim, I was letting it fly just because I felt really good. Just in the zone is, you know, it's cliche, but that's kind of how I was feeling. Um, but honestly, when you're out there playing, you don't even think of it. You know, you just try to go out there and, and do what you can to help your team win. But I remember after the game is when it all started to sink in. and Even my teammates were looking at me like, yo, what the heck just happened? Um, but it was, it was an unbelievable game. You know, it was such a tough tough outcome for us, but it, I went from the highest high to the lowest low in a matter of, you know, 40 minutes. Um, but it was an unbelievable experience for for me, for our team, and, you know, for for my family, our fans, everything. Um, so it was something that, obviously, like you said, I'm kind of known for and will stick with me forever. Yeah, I just remember watching that game in my dorm room, and social media was just blowing up because you were lighting it up, and it was fun to see, you know, someone that 
Like, obviously, you could, I, I didn't know your story at the time, but you could tell it wasn't expected to contribute at the level you did. So that was cool to see, and and especially for you know the stage you were on, awesome to to take in. And like you said, Louisville ended up winning a phenomenal game, and you're kind of left with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. So I, I want to get into your immediate reaction and your mindset sitting in the locker room, you know, on the bus back to the hotel, going home. What's it like having the biggest loss of your career mirror and parallel the biggest success or achievement of your life until that point? It was, it was tough, man. It was difficult. Um, just because it was Monday night. I mean, we made it all the way to the end. That was, that was the thing. The farther we went in the tournament, obviously the better it it was for us, but then it just makes it that much more difficult, you know, after a loss. Um, but it was actually still a really cool atmosphere after the, obviously everyone was all upset. You know, guys were crying and it sucked because it's your last time playing together. Cause you know, we had seniors guys who, you know, were leaving for the NBA. So that team was never going to be together again, which, which is hard. Um, but members of the fab five came in and, and talked with us, talked with us after, um, so it was a pretty special moment, you know, for for all of us. Um, but the bus ride back, and uh, we got back to the hotel, and my phone was just nonstop. You know, it was, I was almost, like, at a loss for words. I was just kind of still in a daze and a little bit shocked about what had just happened. Um, you know, but I always, I always tell people, yeah, the 17 points, they were cool, and it was, it was a lot of fun at the time, but... You know, I I traded all in a heartbeat for a national championship ring. Yeah, no doubt. And I think I remember I mentioned the social media buzz that was going on during that game. And I think I remember like looking at your profile and seeing the followers just go up mid game. So I'm sure your your Twitter account was blowing up, your phone obviously, your texts. And what else you were known for after the game was shooting your shot at Kate Upton. The next morning, you said, uh, "Hey, saw you at the game last night." You know, I had to ask this obviously. Yeah. Hey, saw you at the game last night. Thanks for coming out. Hope to see you again with the winky emoji. So, you know, you're obviously still riding a high a little bit there. You, you saw your opportunity and, and shot your shot, as shooters do. So take oh, yeah. me through the decision-making process there to uh, to send that tweet. Yeah, that was – oh, my God, that's so funny. That was probably the ultimate heat check right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those things. Um, I honestly – I didn't even know she was at the game at the time. Um, but after the game, we were all back at the hotel and – you know, everyone's talking blah, blah, blah about the game. But then some people were like, hey, did you see Kate Upton? Um, and that, that just became like, you know, the topic of the table. And I forget who it was, you know. There was like five or six different people. We were all talking. And, you know, Novak was one of them. Uh, Zach Novak, it is. Um, you know, some of my teammates, Stauskas, even my brothers, they were all kind of chiming in like, hey, you need to like, you need to tweet at her. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, what am I going to – why would I tweet at her? And they're like, dude, like, who would have thought you would have scored 17, blah, blah, blah. Like, just just do it. It'll be hilarious. So I fired off the tweet, and obviously the winky face was probably a little overboard. Um, but within, like, 10 seconds, I started getting, like, crazy amount of retweets. And next thing I know, I've got, like, a couple hundred, and it's a couple thousand. I'm like, all of a sudden, five minutes later, I'm like, oh, my God, this is – escalating and now I'm starting to think oh coach B is going to be pissed at me because he thinks I'm like I'm joking around after the loss blah blah um, but he totally was cool about it he took it great he actually played it up too um, but it was one of those things even even to this day um, you know she recently just got married I still have people like retweeting that or tweeting at me about it making fun of me and I'm like if you know all these people who are giving me a hard time I'm like if you were in my position you know you'd have done the same thing. So, um, you know, it was all in fun nature. Never heard back from her. I was hoping I would at least get a tweet back, but I got nothing. But that's all right. Yeah, I was gonna. Ho- I was hoping that uh, when she got married to Verlander recently, like you said, that she would acknowledge you in some form or Verlander would acknowledge you. That's too bad she- you never heard back, but, you know, you can't blame can't blame me for trying. Yeah, no, absolutely, you know. And to this day, to this day, there's... Like you said, lasting effects. I mean, you have close to sixty thousand followers on Twitter, probably a bunch from that night and from that tweet. And 
now, I mean, so you're a freshman at that point, and you still have three years at Michigan to play, and then you couldn't have known at that point you would have another year at Purdue, but you got to be thinking, like, this is the peak. It's all downhill from here, right? Dude, absolutely. That's so funny you say that because literally that's what I was telling people. I was like, ah, I peaked too early. Um, <laughs> so, like, it, you know what? If, if we would have won that game, I probably would have just retired because I was like, there's nothing else I can do, you know, in my basketball career. I'm not going on to play in the NBA, so I might as well just hang it up. But that was – That's hilarious. Yeah, it was. It was funny. Yeah, but uh, obviously you didn't hang it up. So – I want to hear about the rest of your career at Michigan. It obviously had some highs and lows. You did end up winning a Big Ten title at Michigan. Had a rough year uh, team-wise when there were a lot of injuries and you guys missed the tournament altogether. And then, of course, your senior year, your decision to retire because of an ongoing hip condition. So take me through some of those highs and lows of roller coaster the rest of your career at Michigan as you carved out your role while the team was kind of um, you know, changing all around you and – things outside of your control were happening as well. Yeah, definitely. It was, um, like you said, it was a roller coaster ride. My, my first two years were, were crazy and the amount of success we had. I remember just thinking, I was like, this is, this must be the norm. Like this is college basketball. You just, you know, make the tournament, you know, back to back elite eight final fours. Like that's just how it's supposed to be. Um, and then my junior year was just a big time reality check. Um, we had three guys leave for the NBA, you know, Mitch, Mitch, Nick, and, and Glenn. So not only was that hard, you know, just losing them from the basketball perspective and, you know, obviously their talent on the court. But for me, it was, it was tough because those were three guys that, you know, I came in with and three of my best friends. So um, having them or not having them around anymore was, was tough as well. And then, my junior year, we were really young, um, and Karis kind of, you know, had to take the reins for the first time. We really struggled with injuries. You know, like you said, we missed the NCAA tournament. We didn't even make the NIT tournament. So that was just a tough year all around for Michigan basketball. Um, and then I had the surgery in the off season, and I just remember, you know, Karis and me talking. We're like, hey, like, new year, we're going out with a bang. Like, we're getting back in the NCAA tournament. We're not being known as, like, the two guys who are captains who didn't make the NCAA tournament, yada, yada, yada. And then, obviously, I had the disappointment from my surgeries and not recovering the way I would have liked to. Um, and my senior year was just an absolute emotional roller coaster, up and down, um, between trying to get healthy and, you know, playing and the setbacks and then ultimately having to to hang it up and, you know, sit out the remainder of my senior senior season, um, which stunk because that's not the way, you know, I wanted to go out, you know, especially, you know, at Michigan. Um, so that's really unfortunate. Um, but it did open up another door for me to go to Purdue. Yeah, for sure. So a couple questions about your injury. First of all, what was the injury itself? Was it a condition that when you had surgery, they expect you to make a full quick recovery and – it just didn't go as planned, or, or what was the diagnosis, and what was your projected recovery time and rehab looking like? Um, well, I think, so the the actual surgery I had, it was an FAI impingement, and I had fractures in my hips. So they had to go in and, and re-stitch up my labrums and then shave down some fragments on my fractures in my hips. Um but it was just one of those things. I think there was a lot of unknown because it's not very common in basketball players. It's more common in hockey and a few other sports. Um, but I was told that it was going to be, you know, six to eight months. I'd be back better than ever, um, this and that. Um, and, I, and I don't think it's anyone's, you know, fault. It's just that's just the way it was, you know, I, that I wasn't able to get back in time because I was rehabbing, you know, twice a day pretty much all off-season, five days a week. Um, but I remember when September, October rolled around, we started practicing, I just wasn't ready. I had zero explosiveness, not that I had any to begin with, but it was a lot less than it usually was. Um, and my lateral movement just wasn't there. Like, we would be doing simple defensive, you know, slide drills, and I literally just yeah. couldn't slide without getting an absolute, you know, 
firing pain in, in my uh, my hip flexor and my adductor. Um, and it was a lot of the same stuff I was dealing with my entire junior year between my hips and my back. <clears throat> and I really just didn't want to go through that whole process again, you know, where I was going to be having to take do cortisone shots or pain pills, whatever I had to do to get myself ready to play. I had just gone through that, you know, for pretty much an entire year, and I didn't want to put myself through that again, physically or mentally. Um, and like I said, I don't think it was, you know, it's no one's fault. The surgery went great. Like I feel great now. Um, I just don't think it was meant to be, you know, that I would, would ever be back to my normal self. Um, yeah. So when, so when you, uh, decided to hang it up, retire a little less than halfway through your senior year, did you ever think at that point you would play basketball again? I was definitely hoping, um, I was definitely hoping. I was. I still continued to work out and, and do all my rehab, my maintenance work, and I was even in. On, I was even in the gym on my own, and I was in the weight room trying to get stronger and get myself back into some shape and things like that. Um, but it was just. It was a long, long process, and you know, I just wasn't seeing the improvement like I had hoped. Um, but I didn't. Didn't want to waste an entire year not being able to play or giving a few minutes here or there, you know, if there was an option for me to get healthy and come back for a fifth year or go play overseas or something like that. Um, so that's why I made the decision I did. All right, before we move on to how you got to Purdue and the process of ending up there, are there any other stories you had with teammates or with opponents or on the road or anything like that that you want to share with the, with the podcast here at Michigan? Um, Michigan stories? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, I got, I got a few. Um, I'll give you a couple. All right. Uh, was when I was a freshman. Um, so coach, coach Beeline loved the death. Um, when we were on the road, we'd be traveling when we stay in the hotels. Um, we'd wake up for breakfast before we do film on game day and we'd have, you know, the breakfast layout, the buffet and, on the tables, you'd have water, milk, orange juice, whatever it was at each table, and then cranberry juice. So Coach B was always big on, like, like why are we – like, we're not wasting anything. So he was noticing that we were getting cranberry juice, but nobody was drinking it. So, <laughs> yeah, this leaves Coach B. So he's getting all worked up one morning. He's like, why the hell – like, why are we buying this stuff and no one's drinking it? And, like, all the managers are kind of looking around, like, no one wants to say anything, this and that. And then sure enough about – Two or three minutes later, Trey Burke comes walking down into the wreckage room. First thing he does is go and pour himself a glass of cranberry juice. And Coach, <laughs> B, Coach B just turns around and looks at the managers and everybody says, hey, he goes, keep that damn cranberry juice. <laughs> That's pretty good. Because I was one of the few guys in there at the time, and I was just cracking up because obviously whatever Trey wanted, he was getting. Um, that was that secret sauce right there. Yeah, hey. I should have been drinking cranberry juice, apparently. Exactly. Um, and then just another another funny story, kind of another quirky story, um, is more of a, a, a now one with uh, Maurice Wagner. So Mo Weezy, when he showed up on campus um, his freshman year, so Coach B has a no, like a no-cussing role. I mean, he's, he's by the book. He's old school. He doesn't want you swearing or cussing during practice, this and that which is totally understandable. But Mo, being a European, is a little bit of a hothead. So, Mo, we, so we all, we've all been in trouble numerous times for, for cussing and swearing, and, and rightfully so. But all of a sudden, Co- Mo Weezy's here, and after every play, he's blurting something out like crazy, but he's doing it in German. And we're all like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? Like, what's he saying? <laughs> and this dude, Mo Weezy, was, he was cussing for about three months in, in German. And it took it took took Coach B like two or three months to finally catch on. So then from then on, like anytime Mo had one of his little outbursts, Coach B's like, I don't even know what you're saying, but stop me. He's like, I'm sure it's bad. Um, but that's just Mo Easy in a nutshell. And that's just I mean, I think you guys can see that even the way he plays with that fire and that competitive spirit. Yeah, I can picture Beeline right now on the sidelines with like a German for dummies book, looking yeah. up the translation for Whatever Wagner is saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was it was actually hysterical. I was cracking up. 
That's good stuff, man. All right, so moving on to how you ended up at Purdue, how did that opportunity come about? Because you had a teammate, Max Biofelt, who did the same same thing as you, put in uh, some years at Michigan and then moved on to Indiana. And Andrew Dockich as well is another one of your teammates who is doing that this year, playing out his final year at Ohio State. So did Biofelt kind of lay that blueprint for you and make you realize that was an option or – just kind of come about organically how did that happen yeah I would say it, it more so came about organically um I didn't have like in my mind when I asked for my release I didn't have anything in mind where I was like yeah I, I want to go to the Big Ten or blah, blah blah um I wanted to go wherever I felt like was the best fit for me and somewhere where I knew I would come in as a fifth year and mesh and be able to to contribute and we'd have a chance to to compete for a championship and make the NCAA tournament um, you know, I knew everything that Max had to go through and how that all worked to, um, to get to the other, to get to IU for Michigan. Um, but I wouldn't say that's what sparked my move. Purdue was one of the first schools to reach out to me. Um, once I asked for my release and like all that stuff was granted. Um, and I just say more than anything, I just really like the people and the culture that they have. You know, it reminded me a lot of Michigan actually. Um, Coach Paint's a super good dude. Um, I came on my visit. All the other coaches, um, they were all great guys. Um, but I tell people, the biggest thing for me wasn't, you know, oh, come in, I want to play this many minutes or do this or that. That stuff, it didn't matter to me. Because by the time you're a senior, you don't care about that. All you care about is winning and, and being around good people. Um, sure. But one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was on my visit, and I've told people this before, is that, P.J. Thompson, who he's obviously their point guard now, and someone when I was coming in who I knew I'd be competing with for minutes. You know, so he had every right to be pissed at me and you know, to kind of be a jerk at me on my visit, knowing that they were bringing me in as a fifth year and you know I could be you know competing with him for minutes. But he was as cool as they come. Um, and he was one of the first dudes I met, and he was just super friendly, welcoming. Um, you know, and that. That spoke volumes to me about, obviously, not only PJ and his character, but about what what Coach Painter and, and Purdue was all about. So I'd say that was probably the biggest reason why I ended up at Purdue. Sure, and you ended up there at a great year. Obviously, a Big Ten championship winning team, and they really had things rolling. They still do, obviously. But I kind of have more of a question that I've always been curious about when I see fifth-year grad transfers go to another school, especially when that team has success. So question is, at like an emotional level, on a personal level, does your investment in that program, like to your core, ever reach the same level as it did putting in four years of work at a place like Michigan? You know, you're kind of being dropped into a program at Purdue where they've already built this thing up, and you're coming in as a, you know, an old head, a grad transfer. So... I wonder the same thing about Dockage being from Michigan going to Ohio State. I always just figure players have a different perspective than fans. You know, fans are invested from day one, and players just don't think the same way. But but what is that emotional investment like as opposed to being dropped in a program as opposed to helping it kind of grow year after year? Yeah. It, like you said, it, it's definitely different. Um, you know, and I would – the whole – Michigan to Purdue, I feel like is a lot different than, uh, you know, Doc going Michigan to to Ohio State. But um, right, you know, lots lots of fifth years, they just they come in and use it as as a more of a basketball platform to, you know, have success on the court, get their numbers up, and then, you know, they go leave. Pro. Right, yeah, they go pro. They leave right after season. But for me, I was, I mean, I was using it as an opportunity to. You know, go play for another great basketball school um, with great coaches and great fans, which was awesome. But then the relationships you build along the way, and sure, it's, it's not going to be the same as, you know, the four years I spent at Michigan because I was there for four years. Um, but I was still at Purdue. I, I graduated. I got my master's. So it's not like I just I went there and then I dipped out, you know, right after season. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've built great relationships with all my you know, my teammates at Purdue and 
you know, my coaches. I was actually, I just went back to a game, you know, a few weeks ago um, versus Belpo, and then I was in Ann Arbor this weekend. So, <laughs> you know, I wasn't just there for, you know, the few the few months of the basketball season. You know, I took a lot of pride in, in being a Purdue Boilermaker. And, you know, it's probably different for me that I'm from Indiana, too. So I know what, That's true. Yeah. I know what Purdue basketball is all about and, you know, their fan base and the fact that they welcomed me and, you know, with open arms and treated me, you know, as awesome as they did. And I, I mean, I was just subpar last year. It's not like I came in and I was some stud, you know, but they were, they were awesome to me all year, even when I was struggling. So, um, you know, I got a lot of, a lot of love for Purdue. Yeah. So you mentioned it's different with someone like Doc, it's going to Ohio State. Would you be able to, if offered the opportunity and, you know, Ohio State had said, come on to Columbus, would you have done something like that? Does the rivalry run that deep? In your in your mind, oh, see for me, it, for me it does. Um, but I can, I see, you know, where, where Andrew's coming from. You know, having been a walk on, for him to have an opportunity to go play and, um, you know, get his masters from Ohio State, I get it. Um, but for me, with my fifth year, I was actually, I was contacted by both um, Ohio State and Michigan State. And those were the two schools. <laughs> I just absolutely, there. Yeah, I just. I mean, and they're both great programs, um, great coaches. But I just remember, I was like, "There's, there's no way I could, I could go to, um, Ohio State or Michigan State after everything, Michigan and, and Coach Beeline had done for me." That's awesome. That's good to know. I always wondered how, you know, how bought in players get. I know it's varying and it differs on, from player to player, but. That's great that when Ohio State, Michigan, even entered the thought process that you were like, I can't do that. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I want you to compare and contrast Purdue as opposed to Michigan. Like you mentioned, both great programs, great fans, and have had similar levels of success the last, you know, since the decade really started. And even going back farther than that, both historic programs. So what is, would you say, the biggest difference that could be related to culture or the fans or the program, the arena in general, what's the biggest difference between Purdue and Michigan? Um, well, a few things. Um, you know, first I would say that Purdue as of right now, and I, and I love Michigan and the, you know, Michigan basketball program and the fans, but I mean, don't, don't get it twisted. Michigan's a football school. You know? Right. I mean, definitely, especially with, with Harbaugh coming back. You know, my first two years, football was pretty down, and, and we were really rocking. So Chrysler was, was jumping, and there was a lot of fans kind of, you know, on the Michigan basketball following. But Michigan, you know, for the most part, a, a football school, whereas Purdue's a basketball school. Indiana's a basketball state. You know, and me being from Indiana, you know, I, I certainly knew that. Um so that was that was pretty fun to be a part of. In terms of the other difference, I'd say would be in terms of style of play. Um, it was just very very different, and I had I knew that going in um, to Purdue that it was you know obviously much more um, defensive minded. Coach Banks a defensive mind, um, even though they score the basketball, and you know people Purdue doesn't get enough credit for that. Um, but it's just a very different style. Coach Beeline's, you know, a lot of ball screen, you know, continuous ball screen motion offense where um, Purdue's more, you know, just motion pass and cut, things like that. Um, so that was an adjustment for me. But, you know, as a fifth year, there's really nothing, you know, you haven't seen in college basketball. So I felt like I was able to, to pick on it, pick up on it pretty quickly. Um, but if I had to say that, those would probably be the biggest differences. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the football school aspect because one story Zach Novak told me I think last year was when he was playing at Michigan or he was on his visit I think even or he was maybe a freshman on the Michigan team and he was at some sort of party and he told everyone there that he was Denard Robinson the football recruit and that's what got him the notoriety like no or the the recognition I should yeah. say and nobody even recognized him as a basketball player but they were like oh denard robinson the football recruits here and they started taking pictures and posting on social media and he just totally punked everybody yeah. i thought that was hilarious no definitely and sorry to, to kind of sidetrack here but when i went on my visit at michigan 
I was with Timmy Hardaway was my host and he took me to he took me to a J. Cole concert. We gotta go backstage and like meet J. Cole, but I remember I saw Denard Robinson over there and you know, I'm an eighteen year old kid from, you know, small town in Indiana. I saw Denard and I was like starstruck. And Timmy was like hitting me and he was like, Hey, like, yo, be cool, be cool. And I was like, dude, I was like, dude, that's shoelace, man. Like, I don't care about J. Cole. I want to go meet shoelace. Um, <laughs> but that just, you know, kind of puts things in perspective. But I feel like, you know, Coach Beeline and, like, the Zach Novak and Tim Hardaway's and then even my class, you know, we really helped kind of bring basketball back on the map at, at the University of Michigan, which is, you know, pretty cool to be a part of. Yeah, before we get back to Purdue, I wanted to get one more question that I that I forgot to get to a few minutes ago. And it's about how Coach Beeline seems to be really good at identifying guys like you and Karis Levert and other you know, fringe players that <clears throat> excuse me, really were able to turn themselves into important contributors that were otherwise probably overlooked. So what do you think that is about his philosophy and his basketball mind and coaching style that is able to bring that out of players? Yeah, I think he is. He's, he's one of the best in the business at it. Um, and I think... First and foremost, with Coach Beeline, you know, Michigan basketball is all about the culture. Um, so he's not going to sacrifice character for talent. You know, he's not looking for for guys who who are going to necessarily be one and dones. Um, he wants guys who, who want to be a part of the Michigan basketball program, the Michigan brand, going to come in there, get their degrees. Um, and then the other thing is he's huge on skill development. So he'll take guys who are, you know, two stars, three stars. You know, I think I was a half a star. I don't even know what I was. But then <laughs> it's his job, and, and he takes a lot of pride in building you up. And that's why you've seen the guys like, you know, the Tim Hardaways, um, the Nick Salsixes, the Karis LeVerts. Um, Abdul Rahman's another guy that yeah. I've been impressed with. Absolutely. I mean, the guys now um, who've made such tremendous strides, you know, during their, their time at Michigan. And, you know, that's just him fully invested in in his team and in his guys. All right, so getting back to Purdue, obviously you guys had it rocking at Chrysler Arena during your time at Michigan, but one thing I've noticed these last couple seasons is that Purdue's been in a lot of big games, and whenever the national media kind of swoops through there, they always are sure to tweet and point out that the atmosphere at Mackey Arena is just on a different level than almost everywhere else in college basketball. So you, having been through the Big Ten multiple times, played in the craziest arenas, and played a full season as having Mackey Arena be your home arena, how does it stack up compared to some of the other, you know, loud and intimidating venues in, in college basketball in the Big Ten? I think, yeah, I think Mackey's right up there, um, certainly in the Big Ten and, and probably anywhere in the country. Um, you know, I was I was never able to to go play in a rough arena or, you know, some of those, but I did play in Cameron and some other, you know, really, you know, well-known arenas. Um, but Mackey's as good as it gets. And even, even during, I even tell this, when I was at Michigan and they were really struggling, we'd still come to Mackey and they were like, you know, second to last in the Big Ten, and it was still jumping, and it was crazy, the atmosphere. Um, and then last year, every game, you know, I felt like no matter who we were playing, whether it was, you know, top team in the Big Ten, worst team in the Big Ten, non-conference, no matter what it was, I always felt like the atmosphere was electric. Um, and that's definitely a home court advantage, you know. Um, it gets everybody's juices flowing. It's, it makes it a lot, a lot of fun as a player. And to kind of cap it all off, you get, you have to close out your career at Mackey, beating Indiana, and I'm sure you don't have much. Be, you're from Indiana, but you probably don't have much love lost for them. I mean, they, like you said, ruined your uh, title hopes your freshman year, and um, you know, were stood in the way, I guess you could say, of of the title last year. Even though they weren't, they didn't have a great year. They they were that final hurdle. So, what was it like beating Purdue's most hated rival on your senior night to clinch that? Big Ten Championship, which is really like a once in a once in a generation, once in a lifetime opportunity yeah. for for fans too. No, definitely. Um, I mean, the stars just aligned. You know, it was crazy how all that happened. And, you know, we were able to to win it outright there at home on Senior Night. 
Um, it was incredible. And although I wasn't a part of that rivalry, you know, for, for more than one year, even during my time at, at Michigan, you know, IU was up there as, as one of our big rivals, aside from uh, Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan State and Ohio State, excuse me. Um, but you could just feel it when I was at Purdue. It was like IU week, and you legit had, you know, hundreds of, of former players and alumni texting you. And, I mean, I was there for one year, but I remember, you know, all these these former Purdue greats and the Robbie Hummels and the Etwans and um, Brian Cardinal, all these guys, like, texting you and just telling you, like, hey, this this isn't just a game. Um, so to be able to to be a part of that just for, for one short year, was it was special. And then to beat them at home on senior night, um, you know, you couldn't write it up any better than that. And compare that kind of to Michigan-Ohio State week in football? Yeah. You there? Yes, very, very similar. Um, so last question, and I'll kind of put you in a tough spot on the spot here. If they were to face off on the court, you know, today at their peaks, which team would win? The Big Ten champion Purdue team from last year or your best team you played on in Michigan, whether that be the national runner-up team or the Big Ten championship team the next year? Oh, you're going to get some, some former teammates mad at me for sure. <laughs> um, but honestly, I, I'd have to go with um, my team freshman year at, at Michigan. Um, we were just in – take nothing away from what we did last year at Purdue and this and that. And But the talent on that Michi- Michigan team my freshman year was crazy. Um, I mean, we had – I think you had five or six first round draft picks. You know, it was it was crazy. So if I had a, if I had to choose one, I would definitely be I would be leaning towards um, my freshman year team at Michigan. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that with all the talent. Yeah. like you said, that team had. Um, before we move on to a little bit of current Big Ten hoops talk, just want to give you a chance to share any stories that you had. Uh, during your time at Purdue, because obviously you had a lot to draw from at Michigan, but was there anything that stood out to you during your one year in West Lafayette that, you know, you look back onto this day and, and smile at? Um, you know, not really any, like, particular stories, but just just all the, the people I met along along the way and um, just quality people. You know, they were, they were fun, outgoing, um, I never had so much fun going to practice every day, um, listening to Coach Painter tell jokes, and it was it was a lot of fun. I remember we did a, a, a trip to Spain. So I was fortunate enough. I got two foreign trips because it just happened like that. Um, so I went to Italy with Michigan, but then we went to Spain last summer with with Purdue. And this just kind of shows you how cool, you know, the Purdue coaches and staff are. You know, we're getting ready to play a game either the night of or the next day, and you know, it's it's one or two p.m. and they're hanging out by the pool, all the coaches with their with their wives and stuff, and they were doing chicken fights in the middle of the pool, and like <laughs> it was hysterical. I remember our old uh, he's not there anymore. He just left. He was the former um, equipment guy. His name's Mookie. That's his nickname, Michael Mays. Mookie. Uh, he was like no one no one could beat Mookie and his partner. And we were just sitting there. All the guys were outside by the pool, just hanging out watching them just cracking up so i mean i there's nothing like really that comes to my other than than that right now that's you know but it's just that's kind of for doing a nutshell and the, and the fun that they have um and the type of people that you're dealing with so it was it was a great year and i'm you know, incredibly thankful that i was able to spend it you know my last year of college basketball at purdue man two foreign trips two big 10 titles national championship appearance you know how spoiled you were? <laughs> oh, dude, trust me. Uh, I'd go back in a heartbeat. I was so spoiled. <laughs> All right, and before we uh, get to the current Big Ten Hoops talk, I, I did want to ask you, because your sister plays for IPFW, uh, Fort Wayne, yep. and you mentioned you were just at in Ann Arbor recently, right, for that game? Yeah, yep. So who are you rooting for? Oh, I mean... Come on, it's my it's my little sister. I, I gotta. That's what I thought. I, I gotta root for my for my sister. Although, 
it was a tough game. They took a little bit of a beating. Michigan Michigan's girls team's really good this year, but I was definitely there rooting on rooting on my baby sister. Family first. And as a as a grandfathered in Fort Wayne fan now, you definitely had to enjoy their win over Indiana on Monday, right? Yeah, I know my, my little sister was texting me. She was all pumped about it. Um but dang that was they looked good again. That was that was a good win for them and you know, the I that IU team, I just can't figure them out. You know, they're a mission. I just they're just young, I think. You know, like a new coach, they're definitely talented. Yeah. And but when you're with a, you got a new coach, you're just prone, I think, to yeah. laying some eggs like they did. So definitely. Although I did not expect them to get housed like blown out like that. So no, especially at home, it's like that just right happened. You know, coming off a big win, yeah, yeah, crazy. For All sure. right, so moving on to the uh, current state of the Big Ten. We'll wrap up with a couple questions here. So, obviously, we talked about how strong the Big Ten was, especially during your underclassmen days at Michigan, as opposed to now when you know the Big Ten has struggled on big stages against the ACC and to the Big East to a certain degree, even though they did have a nice weekend this past weekend with the Crossroads Classic and some other big wins. But you were asked, I believe it was when you stopped by our studios a month or two ago, asked by Mike Hall, and I overheard this, why do you think a Big Ten team hasn't won the national title since 2000? And do you remember the the crux of what you said there? Because I, I thought it was a really good answer. Do you remember that, what answer you gave? Oh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, yeah, I think it was something along the lines of how, like, don't get me wrong, the Big Ten's really, really good conference. Um, you know, especially in, in their coaches are great in, in, you know, planning and preparing. Um, and things like that, and drawing up a game plan and executing it. But once you get into the NCAA tournament, it's almost like all bets are off. You know, um, you got to have players who can just go out there and, and, and make plays and get you buckets. Um, and that's when, you know, the elite elite level athletes and the elite talent kind of rise to the crop or rise to the top. I'm sorry. Um, and that's kind of what I I think you've seen over the years, especially the Big Ten. We don't get tons of, you know, tons of tons of, you know, top players. One and one and duns. Yeah, one and duns, or you know, the five stars. Those guys, they're going to to Kansas and Kentucky, or Duke. You know, like Duke. Yeah, this dude from from Oklahoma who's nasty. Like they're just they're going one year where they can go and Michael Porter, you know, hometown things like that. Um, whereas I feel like a lot of the Big Ten schools are looking for guys who, you know, obviously. You need talent, guys who can help you win, but they're looking for guys who fit their scheme and their system and, you know, they're coachable, things like that. Um, but you know, we've been we've been close time and time again. Um, you know, it just hasn't seemed to – we haven't been able to, to break through it, it feels like, in a long time. Yeah, no, I think you're right on the money there, and that's – I'm glad I remembered that correctly or mostly correctly because, like you said – the Big Ten hasn't had a problem making the title game. They've got there numerous times in the last couple of decades, but I think it is a lot of it is a fluke that they haven't won at least one or two since then. You know, just a lot of those games have gone, been toss-ups, been 50-50 games that just went the way of the non-Big Ten team. But I think there is something to be said that when they get there, they're usually facing a team that is stacked with lottery picks, whether it be a Duke, a North Carolina, a Louisville, Kentucky. And a lot of times there isn't quite as much NBA talent on the Big Ten side. And I think that's kind of what's hurting them right now. I think after guys like you had on your team, like Robinson and Hardaway and Evan Turner and a lot of the talent that was top, you know, lottery pick, top 10 type guys, a lot of those guys have kind of filtered out now. And so I think we're kind of in in sort of a, a down period. But I will say, and I want to know if you agree with this, that now, as opposed to, you know, the last five to ten years, I think top to bottom now there are better coaches in the league, top to bottom in the conference, and the league is better positioned to get better and be more complete as the years go on here because we saw it this past weekend. You see Rutgers and Indiana, who was at the who was figured to finish near the bottom, breaking through, and you see what Chris Holtman's doing at Ohio State in his first year. You have Brad Underwood at Illinois, who's done a great job everywhere he's been. And just top to bottom, I think there won't be those bottom feeders. And I do think the I think the talent will normalize, and I think they'll start getting more 
lottery pick type talent than they even have right now. So I just want to get your thoughts real quick on if you think that's accurate and if you think this is, you know, kind of a unusual down period for the conference. No, absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, you know, I think, I don't think the, the top half of the league, you know, especially like the top four or five teams are as good as they've been. Um, but I definitely, you've been seeing in the past couple of years that, that the bottom you know, four, the bottom six teams in the Big Ten are getting better and better. And that's why there's really, you know, there's really no easy games in the Big Ten. Um, I mean, you just saw it the other day. You know, you go on the road, it doesn't matter where you go. Um, right. Penn State's good now. You know, Nebraska's tough. Nebraska it's, just beat Minnesota. I mean, Nebraska they almost beat, should have beat Kansas. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, but, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, but I think it just kind of gets that bad rep because our top half teams, you know, aren't as good as they've been. And then plus we go and, and we struggle in the, the big 10 ACC challenge. Um, but it's early and I think there's a lot of new coaches, there's new players, there's adjustments. So I think, you know, teams are only going to get better and better. Um, and I think there's going to be some teams that'll, you know, surprise you, you know, come February and March. Yeah. Now it's kind of on the Archie Millers and the, Steve Peichels and Brad Underwood, Chris Holman to recruit that NBA type talent while Izzo does his thing and Painter does his thing, kind of get that league, you know, more beefed up at the top. And I think I like their chances to to do it and pretty quickly. So we'll see. Um, yeah. And before I let you go, just want to get your thoughts on the current versions of the two teams you played for. We can start with Michigan. They started off slowly, in my opinion. I watched some of their first few games and they had trouble putting away some inferior competition, and then they really improved. After Maui, it looked like they really started to get their, get their stuff together, and I've been really impressed with, with how they've looked. Just beeline again, able to get the most out of his pieces, and, and you do have some game-changing talent like Mo Weezy, as he said earlier. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think is their ceiling this year? Do you think they have a run in them like we saw last year when they really were undersized, but they had some really solid pieces and were able to make some real noise in the Big Ten tournament and the NCAAs? Yeah, I I definitely, I think they're an NCAA tournament team. Um, you know, like you said, I think they got off to a little bit of slow start, but they got a lot of a lot of new faces, you know, obviously um, the freshman, but also Charles Matthews, who, you know, I think a stud, you know, might possibly be the newcomer of the year in the Big Ten. Um, yeah, he's he great. Last year. Um, you know, I don't know if, if they'll be quite as good as last year just because of, you know, Derek Walton and what he did, you know, at that point guard position, because that's such a, a huge position for Coach Beeline. For Coach DJ Beeline. Wilson. Wilson, too, was unbelievable. Absolutely. Um, but I expect them to, to keep getting better and better. And, you know, I think they're going to be one of one of the dark horses in the Big Ten. And, you know, I think they have a chance to finish inside the top four. Um, so I'm excited. And I spent a lot of time up there watching those guys. And, you know, Coach Beeline, he's a really good coach. So I know they'll get it figured out. All right, so how about Purdue? Obviously a very solid team. They took some lumps in in Atlantis before starting what has been their current streak of excellent basketball, really, when they when they knocked off Arizona and have pretty much rolled since then. But I still think, and I think Purdue fans would agree, that they're not maybe getting the respect they deserve on a national level for whatever reason. So before I even ask you about a prediction for them this year, do you think they're getting? Do you think there's a lack of respect there in in the, the national media that people are maybe sleeping on Purdue? Um, you know, I would usually say say yes, and in, in the years I think a lot of it's due to you know like the the reputation. I think Biggie said it best last year, like like hey, we don't necessarily look sexy out there, but mm-hmm. we go out and get it done. But I mean, I think I just saw him right now. Um, you know. It, I think top twenty. I think they're sixteenth in the polls. Um, I definitely think they're they're really good and they're getting better. Um, you know, they had those two losses in, in the Bahamas, and those were were really un, unprecedented. That's not you know typical of them to lose early on. Um, but I mean, it, it was a good Tennessee team who was in the top twenty five, and then Western Kentucky. Um, so it's not like those yeah. were two two slouches, and it's not a neutral court. Um, but I think a lot of people are just you know, kind of handing the trophy over to Michigan State for the Big Ten. And I I think Purdue can give them a run for their money for sure. 
Um, you know, I know Michigan State has a ton of, you know, talent, but, you know, they're still young. They still got, you know, freshmen, freshmen and sophomores out there. Um, you know, Purdue's been through it. You know, they got four, four seniors who start, and then Carson Edwards, who's an explosive athlete and a phenomenal scorer. Um, so I think if anyone can, can give Michigan State a run for their money this year, I think it'd be Purdue. All right, yeah, and I, I was going to have you predict an official Big Ten champ. You kind of laid it out there without saying it, but who do you think, if you had to go on record, etch it in stone right now, and we can revisit it in a couple months, who do you think is going to take home the Big Ten title? I'm asking you, Mr. Big Ten title himself. He have two with two different teams. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do much for either one of them. I just happened to <laughs> Um, You know what? If, if I had a guess, if I had a say, on paper, I would say Michigan State, but I, I'm going to go with Purdue. I think they're going to go back-to-back. Um, that's not just because, you know, I don't want the Purdue faithful to be mad at me. I really do. I think I think experience and senior leadership and, you know, I think that stuff means something. Um, and what, you know, they've, they've been able to accomplish and what they've built over the years, I think that's going to gonna pay off. You know, Michigan State, another thing, you know, last year they were they were the hunters, you know. They were middle of the pack this year. They're getting everyone's best shot. So, you know, it's a lot different um, when you're the hunted. So, we'll see. They're obviously a really good team, and Coach Izzo's, you know, a hell of a coach. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they have a few, you know, mishaps here and there. All right, Spike. That's all I got for you. We'll mark it down, uh, Purdue, and I'll, we'll hold you to it in a couple months here. But hey, a lot of good stuff. Really appreciate you jumping on. I mean, I told you we'd go 30 to 45 minutes. We went over an hour, so that shows you know you had a lot, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good stories and a lot of good insights. I really appreciate you joining me. Definitely, man. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot, Spike, again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as I did. You know, I mentioned at the top of the show, he's really kind of the poster boy for all of us who were never good enough to make it to that level but you see someone out there kind of looks like you or is undersized and maybe didn't have the pedigree coming out of high school that was able to grind and claw their way to that level and you know I was a bum compared to to him in high school but and he obviously put on at a a level I couldn't even dream of but it's still cool to have someone your age that kind of live that dream be able to talk to them and spike as you can as you just listened and heard had a lot of fascinating stuff to say and a lot of great stories and um you know just really lived the dream for for five years and and overcame a lot with, with injuries and some adversity so a lot of good stuff spike great to talk to him and definitely have to have him on again in some capacity at some point down the road so thanks to everyone out there for listening and thanks as always to West White for producing I will try and get our episodes out back on our regular schedule at least once a week going forward so hang with us here subscribe if you haven't already on all the podcast platforms and we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast <laughs>